You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Why don't you start? You want me to start? Yeah, I mean, we're on the air, aren't we? Stage like, fright, is, is this your fucking start? Is this your fucking start, Beza? Oh, a- Siobhan, we let women go first last time. Did, like, you were fucking <laughs> tested to this. I tell Corey, can you go first? He thinks I'm kidding. Do Do I have to do everything? Is that Does how my works? mullet confuse you that I'm joking? I played Brock the episode where I did the intro. He's like, you already used a word within the first five words that nobody knows. I'm like, no, I swear this is a commonplace word. He's like, I don't even that's know what that That's <laughs> <laughs> I said usurp. He was like, oh, no, that's not a word people are going to know. Yeah. With a word like that, not only you lost some of the audience, you lost half the hosts <laughs> on this show. But <laughs> with that said, we actually had a guest this week. We did. Corey, yeah. are you going to give us the lead line? Do I have to fucking feed this to you like a we're goddamn animal? We're still waiting animal? for Corey to do the intro. So should, yeah, do you going to tell like, what show like, we're like, on? You can drop some hints. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they probably went to the website or something, so at least we now have like a fan base of my mom and your mom, Siobhan's mom, and like seven people, and David Abrazee from Pearl Jam. Yeah, but other yeah. than that... If you are a fan of many, many notes played in a very short period of time... Did you even tell them the show? You even tell them the show. What show are they listening to, dude? Who cares? I mean, I don't care because that's my thing, but <laughs> okay, they you should know what? care. Fuck you both. Welcome to another episode of 2020, where this week we have, as Ben would say, the illustrious, the the intellectual, the I don't know what other adjectives you can use. Rusty Cooley. Rusty Cooley. Dude, I'm like, I'm literally like a proud Jewish mother of both you and fucking Rusty Cooley. Any, any guitar fans out there are, are going to want to check this one out. Uh, you're talking about someone at the peak of technical abilities when it comes well, to metal and shred. I'm, I mean, I, I, my brain, I'm sorry, it works you too fast. You just can't I don't resist mean be, from interrupting. I can't resist, but here's the thing about like Rusty Cooley. Because I didn't know who he was at first because like he's not as obvious as an Ingve Malmsteen or a Steve Vai. But like those guys all know who he is because in the 80s and 90s, probably more like the 90s, 2000s, Rusty Cooley came out. And he was the fastest guy around. He was. Like, whether you thought his style was cool or not, he was, like, the guy that you were watching VHS tapes of before there was YouTube. So now you have all these super shredders out there playing fucking gazillion notes of minutes. But before there was Pro Tools and cutting and pasting, because I promise you Rusty doesn't know how to use any of that shit, there was (laughs) just Rusty Cooley. And, like, I got to tell you, if you haven't heard him, it's, like, it's an onslaught to the brain. Like, it's, like, if the first time you've heard Slayer... That's what Rusty's shred skills are like. It's like Slayer. Yeah. And what's cool shred. about this episode, he he, he kind of dives into his influences and, and some of his techniques, but he he also talks about more of the stuff you wouldn't expect to hear from him. The the theory and, and some of his approach to composition 
uh, that, that most people that have only seen his YouTube videos might not know about. Yeah, I found that I really related to Rusty, which was kind of unexpected for me because I felt like we were kindred spirits as You're like underground hair. scholars. You're very similar <laughs> well, hair. But not just the hair, but that we're like just secretly just underground nerds that just want to play really well and Well, it's like if you're in the technology. middle of an ocean <laughs> and you had nothing but music theory to guide you, he would be a raft. Right. In fact, something that he referred to. So yeah, check yeah. It you that should out. probably listen. <laughs> Here he is, Rusty Cooley. Hi, I'm Betty Goodman, and you're here with 2020 with a fucking crew of misfits, a special crew of misfits tonight. I'm very, very happy to say on the fucking bass guitar, Corey Peza. Woo. I'm, I'm fresh out. It's back there yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah he, I know. He does a lot more than just the bass guitar. The six string but bass. And then we have Siobhan Cronin, our resident better than everybody else person. No. Because she's got two billion False. streams with her bands. <laughs> She False. always like she's like got <laughs> a, true, a, a, a filter on her face. She dresses I, I nice. Care. She's always I in care. black, which is rock and roll. And <laughs> speaking of all in black, speaking of like literally legends of what we fucking do, <laughs> one of the fastest gunners in the goddamn world. We got Rusty Cooley. Hey, hey. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that was emphatic, Rusty. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry. Was that hey, a PPP you. or an FFF? I'm not really sure. <laughs> How you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? I'm good, man. You're Cooley. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've been waiting for so long for some somebody to walk into that terrible, terrible joke. <laughs> so I, I, I want I, we were talking off offline because, you know, we're corporate motherfuckers here, obviously. Right. Um, yeah. I was talking to Rusty. Um, about how his 2020 has been going. And uh, it seems like this man is busier than ever. And if you're as busy as you are with uh, your, your schedule as you are with those notes, I, I would imagine you must be a busy man. Um, yeah, I, I am and I'm not. I mean, it's it. I teach pretty much every day of the week, except for Fridays. I'm off on Fridays and I teach every other Saturday. So I get a few days off here and there. But I don't, it's not like extensive hours. I mean, I might start at, you know, like it started at 3.30 today and I finished at 9. But some, most of the times I don't finish till a little after 10 on Wednesdays. So it's it's somewhere between 3 and 10 or 11, you know. So I mean, I well, still got I, all day and I still have all night, you know, and I don't sleep at night anyway, so. Well, I got to ask you yeah. a question because you teach so many lessons, but like you're such a Jedi level guitarist. Like if I came to you and said, hey, listen, man, I want to I want to learn Wonderwall by Oasis. Yeah. Like, do you teach that shit? Like, do we learn Absolutely. that in, in the Rusty Cooley school of guitar or is it yes. just straight to sweet picking no. four notes a string? No, 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 man. I, man, when I was younger, I used to dream of the day when I had all advanced students. And then after about a, six months of finally acquiring all advanced students, uh, I was about ready to throw up. It's like, man, if I, have, <laughs> if I have to teach one more sweet picked arpeggios a day or play one more harmonic minor scale today, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> so, so personally for me, it's much more stimulating to teach, you know, anybody from a seven year old little kid to a 70 year old dude, you know, from somebody who wants to strum chords around a campfire to rock, jazz, blues, funk, fusion, whatever it is. You just said it's, jazz. It's yeah. So we got, we got, I have to ask you a question. So we just yeah. interviewed Rodolfo Zuniga, who's like this Frank Zappa-esque fucking crazy drum. He plays drums for Julio Iglesias, mm -hmm. but like he, he literally, I is the, it's, it's like acid 
jazz, Zappa, craziness. And he was saying that jazz is like the ultimate. And I think now now that I've I've been taking guitar lessons again from a jazz teacher, and that's the only thing that like mystifies me. It's not like, can he do that crazy arpeggio? I know what you're doing. But when yeah. you play a 13th chord or an add nine, I'm like, what is that? What is that? How did you dis- suspend that the like way the that you did time that? I've heard you bring up the 13th chord. I know, this is, this is like your this favorite. This is the only thing I know. I found out there was a six. The guy well, said there's a six too. Well, see, Benny, then you've been missing half of my playing because I play all that stuff. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. Well, you know what's oh. so fast? It's like Sonic the Hedgehog. I always see. No, but <laughs> I mean, see, what I've done as a guitar player is I've studied what all the jazz guys do and fusion guys do so that I can interpret it and then. Put it into what I do. It's like I tell all my students, if you only listen to metal, you're just going to regurgitate metal. How can you bring anything new to the table? So it's by by listening to rock, jazz, funk, fusion, classical, blues, Bulgarian folk tunes, whatever. You know what I mean? You you channel that into yourself and then you become something new. When when I talk to you, so so that our viewers know, John Petrucci invited you to come teach at his camp. And we all know that, like, obviously he's like the Darth Vader of guitar playing. And I was like, so who... What was that like? And you're just like Al Demiola. Oh yeah, of course. Because <laughs> it's like, but yeah. it's great because it's like there's there's like old school and new school, and it's so yeah. great to have someone like you, uh, who's such an incredible player, but have respect for a guy like Al Demiola that a lot of oh, like yeah, kids dude. that even go to Berkeley now, unless they're like the nerdy nerdy jer- uh, jazz guys, yeah. may not even know who he is. Yeah, you know what I mean? Un- that's unfortunate. You know, I try to educate uh, all my students as much as I can on where the shit really came from. You know what I mean? What's the song you start people out with as far as Al Demiola? Uh, probably Passion, Grace, and Fire. That's a good one. Yeah, that or a little bit of uh, Race with the Devil on Spanish Highway. Actually, just so for our viewers to go watch. I also you, love, what is that? Uh, his, his new, have you seen his new cover he just did of the Beatles, uh, Strawberry Fields Forever? It's fucking have, out there. I haven't heard it, but I've seen it. It's I mean, awesome. I've seen the, the, the whatever they had for it or whatever. Somewhere, but it's, I mean, anything Demiola does is cool. You know, his neighbor is like Paul McCartney or somebody like that. Like the Paul McCartney. Wow. <laughs> is there more yeah. than one? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's... Seriously, I mean, that's what he said when he was, I mean, I don't know if it's currently or at one time, but that's what he was talking about at the camp. You know, wow. he was like, he was like real sheepishly to go over to and give him some music of his own, you know? <laughs> He's like, hey, was, you know, I played a band too, you know? <laughs> oh my God, that's... <laughs> that's... I mean, you know? Um, hey, hey, listen, man, we all got to be humbled by somebody, right? Well, absolutely. You know, and the Sir first Paul McCartney that, could do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so the first year that Petrucci camp, the most exciting thing for me was that Tony McAlpine was going to be there. One of my guitar heroes, you know what I mean? So, you so know, that was the guy, Tony McAlpine. Of, uh, he, was the, he was the first year. I mean, McAlpine was there both years, but no, but I'm just saying that like, so like for you, that was one of your guitar. So who yeah, are your guitar that's, heroes? That's, because so um, you're everyone else's guitar hero. Who are your guitar <laughs> heroes? I have so many of them. It's not even funny. Um, well, I'll start with the basics. Randy Rhodes. You know what I mean? Right there. Started out with Randy. The first three years I played guitar, it was Rhodes or Die. And uh, and Halen fan, but Randy took first place over that for me. Um, I just like the writing better. You know what I mean? Um, and then and then I heard this guy named Ingve Malmstein and uh, totally sent me back to the woodshed and made me rethink everything that I've had done that far, but you know, I'd only been playing guitar about three years at that time, but um, you know, so Yngwie was a huge influence shortly after that Vi came into the equation. It was totally into Vi and Satch. I have, uh, I have surfing. No, I've that album, not as the, not of this earth on vinyl still. 
you know, and when I bought it, it had a little sticker on side the cellophane that said, it said, when I was 14 years old, I took my guitar and a pack of strings to Joe's house. And it was Steve Vai, you know, saying that because Vai was, uh, I mean, Satch was Vai's teacher. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it's like Satriani and then every, just about everything that came out of Shrapnel Records, Jason Becker, Marty Friedman, Greg Howe, mm. Richie Kotzen, um, I'm sure I'm forgetting a million guys. Darren Hall gets PTSD anytime you mention Marty Friedman. <laughs> so, you know, I was, he, Marty Friedman hazed Siobhan. I don't know if we told you this, but he put her he, through the ringer. He put me through the ringer in his really? compositional process. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you have very, to understand. Very picky. Very Mar picky. Marty's idea of, of things are just you do it Marty's way or not otherwise. So he gives you the idea that you have freedom, but like freedom is an illusion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a total illusion. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Here's the thing, though. I will tell you, Rusty, he's always right. Yeah. Because he's Marty fucking Friedman. <laughs> that's, that's, Jason I, Becker went to that guy to learn how to write a song. He's like, hey, hey, how do I get better? And then he asks, so when Marty Friedman was not sleeping after doing Dragon Kiss, he's like, I'll walk downstairs and do Altitudes with Jason Becker and tell him how to play it better. So Marty, like, Marty's not on Altitudes. No, he's the one. He He produced it. Are you sure? He was doing Dragon Kiss concurrent. Yeah. But I mean, yes. they just finished the second Cacophony album and they booked his solo album. I know. They were doing a hit yeah. Dragon Kiss during the yeah. day and then Perpetual Burn at Night. Yeah, I don't think Marty was producing it. He was sitting in the studio helping him put it together. I listened to his podcast about it. I swear to God, I'm such a nerd. You have no idea. Well, I, I, Benny's I, losing his mind right now. I, uh, <laughs> I didn't know this. I was blown away that, that during the night he was doing... Uh, Dragon Kiss during the day, or it could be the inverse of this. Well, I'm, I'm Perpetual sure they burn. Each other's sessions, you know what I mean. In the same band, and Jason played guitar 24 hours a day. I was, um, I did a little thing with with Jason and Jeff Loomis and Richie Kotzen and a couple of other guys several years. Well, several years ago, it's probably been 10 years now. But of course, Jason's dad was talking for him, and and Jason was telling stories about him and Richie Kotzen. You know, because Varney asked Rich Jason to go in the studio when Richie Kotzen did his first CD, and you know, Jason's like, well, we were both like 17, 18 years old and he put us in a studio together because we were like farting on each other and putting bubble gum <laughs> in each other's hair and shit, you know, <laughs> and uh, still managed to put out some cool records. Yeah. Yeah. No, those records uh, were a little bit more than cool, I'd say. Yeah. For real, man. Man. I just yeah, want to I mean, quit every time I listen to Cacophony. Yeah. That, that I was, I'm a big Jason guy. Jason was one of my biggest influences. Like the three three pinnacles that left the biggest imprint on me in my early years was, uh, you know, Jason, um, Ingve and Paul Gilbert, you know, um, those three guys, that's that song. Off but my can you yo-yo as you're, as you're doing all the hammer-ons like, like Jason Becker? I can eat a ho-ho. <laughs> it's close. Yeah. There's no you. job done. Are there yeah. any, um, uh, guitarists out there or musicians in general that might be surprising? for people to find out that are, have influenced your playing? Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot. Um, I'm a huge um, classical violin piano freak. Um, Woo! Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> Yeah, talk about it with Siobhan. Let's, let's, let's geek out. What's your favorite like classical violin shit? Well, I mean, I like, I, I was talking about violinists that are actually recording the pieces today. Like, uh, my, obviously, Michael Rabin's passed away, but I like um, Isaac Perlman and Yasha Heifetz is pretty fast. But... Yeah, Yasha Heifetz is legendary, yeah. Yeah, the Jews, they're awesome. So, I mean, Perlman, listen, I like, watched all that stuff. I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Rigario, what's his name? Oh, Ricci. Ruggiero yeah. Ricci, yeah. Yeah, that's it. yeah. yeah he was in the same lineage as my teacher. So, you know, classical violinists are all into what lineage you is came it, from. Is, is that yeah. like horses, like where you get like an Iberian warm blood and it's like <laughs> since the 13th century they've been breeding you? To be a well, a lot of it has to do with different schools. You know, people it, talk about biology. The there you go. And Trademark you, biology. <laughs> and read the story about when Yasha Heifetz, you know, Perlman went in to, you know, audition for him or whatever that was called back then. Do you hear that story? I don't, maybe. I'm sure one of my teachers has told it, but you should tell it again. I don't know. I can't remember the exact details of it, but it's like Yasha Heifetz, when he would come in, he'd ask you to play scales. And, and when he meant scales, he meant everything from those scales, the arpeggio. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Perlman already onto that new in advance you know so he had all this stuff and he actually you know it, it caught uh Heifetz's attention so to speak uh-huh but it's you know it's pretty funny because a lot of apparently most people that went into audition or I don't know what the process was maybe they were being critiqued or something like that mm -hmm. but, uh, most people didn't know that and they would just play the scales and then Heifetz would be like okay next yeah you know, <laughs> but, but I mean you know I like all those guys um and I, I like I'm a huge Paganini fan um and more than just the 24 caprices but but like if you take all of those different violinists that have made recordings of them and put them all together and you you know it's like me being uh into technique i'll take and look at like uh ricci's and then perlman's and michael rabin's and and i've seen some other guys that do it but nobody comes close to those guys mm -hmm. david garrett or whatever it's like man come on get out of here <laughs> you know I mean? the him, that, that hippity hop him, bow him, thing that they do where they're like yeah, almost yeah. like sweet bowing like you know what I'm talking about? The Heifetz yeah. thing? Like the, yeah. Like, yeah, it's like a ricochet or a spiccato right, bowing. So yeah. People should not be allowed to record those 24 caprices, you know what I mean? Well, I'll tell you yeah. this right now. We did 24 caprices, and yeah. we, we did, uh, I think, was it the fifth caprice? or uh, we did a, Yeah, we did an excerpt from we the did, fifth. We did an excerpt within. of the fifth caprice, and we did it at like 150 BPM or something completely inhuman. I think and, it was 166 or well, something. Well, hold on. And then remembers. Siobhan calls us and she's like, it sounds oh, a little yeah, bit original. sleepy to me. And like, <laughs> meanwhile, every guitar player that was going to play on it's like, I won't do that. Not even Conrad <laughs> Simon, who's no, on this record. No, but there are some things on my list that just are easier. Yeah, I mean, with the... Well, yeah. I understand, a lot. but she plays the 24th... Uh, yeah. You play the 5th Caprice at 166 BPM I'm, and I'm pretty sure I'm not aware of any recording of it that fast. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. I could do that. But it's like, see this, I'm usually a 16th note triplet guy. So 16th notes at 200 BPM to 250. It's not too big of a deal. I mean, well, 250 is pushing it, but you know. So are we challenging you to this? Are you, are you going to, because there's still like, this is the third, this is for Ollie. So there's a part where if you, if you could do it, we'll let you. Okay. Send me the recording. Hell uh, yeah. Corey has your email. It'll be at your place. It has been laid. Listen, okay. While we're talking about that, I want to say something. So Rusty sent me an eight-string guitar, and I told him I don't know what the fuck to do with these other two strings. And right now, it's strung up with like eight E strings because that's what's more useful for me. But I wanted to throw the gauntlet back at Rusty with another eight-string wonder. Oh, that's okay. I'm gonna up the ante to an eight-string U harp ukulele duel. That because the amount of <laughs> the amount of technique <laughs> there we go and hold on a second oh my gosh we shouldn't allow ben to record podcasts no, after a certain hour the of thing the night. Is, these four strings don't even have frets <laughs> Rusty, welcome to my world anytime you want i will fucking throw down with no. an eight string you harp ukulele. You can have that eight string and I'll take a six string uke. 
<laughs> Seriously, I've played six string ukes. They're strung up just like a, a six string guitar. Yeah. And they're awesome to play. Oh, wait, you'll be better at anything with strings than me? Surprising. <laughs> Keys on it. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can like move my fingers, but that's it. Yeah. I'm just amazed that you're like open to the idea of playing Paganini at 166 BPM, which is actually, it's what is that, 334? So what what is like? See, I have a I have a playlist. She's very particular because here's the oh, other thing. Apparently, guitar players don't play violin like violinists, according to Siobhan. No, they don't. No, no, it's a different technique. We have different tools to yeah. use. It's got to be played differently. Absolutely, this it's tuned in fits, right? Uh huh. Yeah. So, on a guitar tuned to fits, that would be pretty weird. You know, that would be some big jumps. You know. Yeah. But you know, I, I don't. What is? I have a playlist with. So I took Paganini, not, not uh, Paganini, but I took Perlman's version of the 24 Caprices and Richie's and Michael Rabin's. And I, would lo I looked at all the timings on all of them, right, for how long it took each song, you know, piece, Caprice. Mm -hmm. And I took the fastest take of each guy and put it, put it in this playlist. So because every one of them played each piece at a different, took them a different time to play it. You know what I mean? So I don't know what the BPMs are, but. Have you heard like have you heard Michael Rabin's version of the fifth? I don't Caprice? think I've heard his. I've definitely heard the other two though. I'll tell you what, the, I like Michael Rabin's version a lot because it's very raw. It's like he's in the studio with his violin and it's, it's like almost just dry. Uh-huh. I mean, so you what you hear is what you get. It's not a bunch of big it's raw and raw. Yeah. Not a bunch of big reverbs and yeah. stuff like that. You really hear that he's nailing this stuff. It's mm -hmm. pretty cool, man. Yeah. I, like, I like that sound. I mean, it's it's not as polished as Perlman's in 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 the respect of you know the lavish reverbs and all that stuff. You want we want to annoys me though. The best version, the best version of Paganini's twenty fourth Caprice, is by a female Asian violinist. I don't know her name. I went and watched a million versions of them, and then all of a sudden I saw like the seventeen year old like female beautiful asian geisha looking violinist and she just nails it nails it there Praise are a lot of so those much. in the world but <laughs> I, it, and i'm like does that piss off like it's itzcock perlman like wheeling himself around going oh hey. Hey, hey, I'm I'm no, like he's not out doing perlman there's no way in yeah it. there's there, there's a certain character that perlman has i mean there are a lot of people nailing it Finesse. you know it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not about just yeah getting the timing and the notes there's a lot more to it than that but yeah yeah, and there's a character in a lot of those older recordings that you don't get in newer, more modern stuff because it's all so yeah. Well, you know who the best you know, or whatever. You know who the best was, in my opinion, and I don't know if you know this guy, but Roy Smeck. Yeah. Roy Smeck used to play yeah. the ukulele, and here's the thing: is he would do all that crazy, the yeah. tappy shit that everyone does, but back in the twenties on yeah, a soprano yeah. Martin, exactly. and you want to know what? It was crazy. And so did uh, Roy, not Roy. What's his name? Uh, from Hee Haw. Um, what's that dude's name? Uh, I don't know, Ben. Do you know? Well, there was oh, more of the the guys on Hee Haw, the two main. I dudes. thought you were impressed that I even know who Roy Smeck was. <laughs> yeah, well, he, you know. does Rusty actually know who Roy <laughs> Smeck is? Because if you haven't seen him, you guys should all go watch him. Dude, I know. Have you seen the guy? If you YouTube this, you YouTube Roy go, Clark. Were you thinking of Roy Clark? Roy Clark, thank you. Yeah. Roy Clark, thank was you, Wikipedia. Doing, <laughs> Roy Clark was doing tapping. Chet Atkins was doing tapping. Yeah. Well, dude, watch Les Paul. Like, that's but the other thing. Like, out. you go see Ed Sheeran, and people are like, oh, my God, he's playing the guitar with multiple parts. And he's a great player. I'm not taking it away from Ed Sheeran. In fact, 
I wish I could be Ed Sheeran. But that said, everything that he's doing, Les Paul was doing inside his guitar in like 1961 with his wife. And they were amazing. Like to yeah. this day, that's some of the best picking on anything ever was you Les know, Paul. Do you know what happened to Les Paul's right arm? No. Can, yeah. Broken. They got they're, broken. Yeah. They, him and Mary Ford were in a car crash. And so the technology back then for resetting and casting wasn't very good. So the doctor asked uh, Les Paul where he wanted his arm to be. So Les said right here. So his right arm never extended further than that so he could play <gasps> Yeah, because it was broken so bad that, that it was he, the doctor set it there, and that's where it stayed. I mean, he could wow. move it up. He couldn't go down any further than that. You know what I mean? It was just wow. so easy. that's crazy. Yeah, he customized his broken arm to play guitar. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Nowadays, you can just say, I don't know, replace my right hand with a drill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> drill with a pick on the only way I'll be able, That's about the only way I'll be able to play as fast as you. So I'm gonna have to give that a shot. Get a Dremel at the end or something. Yeah, right. Yes, might have to fifteen hundred RPMs. You know? I got. I gotta tell you though. So, so I'm gonna talk about our sponsor, the Lost Symphony, because Rusty <laughs> oh, mine is plays on Chapter Two, which is coming out in October, and it's on a song called "The Garden of Earthly Delights." And I gotta tell you, there's a lot of crazy players on this, but hearing you and Jimmy Bell, he's awesome. Okay, Jimmy Bell. And Conrad Simon are two of the fastest left-handed players I've ever heard in my life. But hearing you and him together, because here's the thing is, like, a lot of the players are fast, but, mm -hmm. like, they have a lot of different techniques. Your technique is just, it sounds like you're sped up. But when you go into <laughs> Jimmy Bell, it's like, oh, my God, I can't handle it. It's like in Amadeus when the guy goes, it's too many notes. Yeah. Well, which notes would you like me to take out? Yeah, exactly. And, then, and I can't that. take out any notes from you because they're, it always sounds ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that's the most awesome answer ever. Well, which one would you like me to remove? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Court, court magistrate? Whatever. <laughs> that's so But yeah, Jimmy oh legend. I mean, I remember being a kid hearing about Jimmy Bell, you know. And this is, you know, we're talking when I was a kid. That's like before the internet shit. <laughs> you know, so we actually had to look at, read magazines and stuff like that. And Mike Vardy used to have a thing in Guitar Player Magazine called Spotlight Column where it showcased three guitar players every month. And I remember seeing the one about Jimmy Bell. And I'd always heard his name and I, I went to uh, the National Guitar Summer Workshop in like 80, I don't know, man, 85 or 86 as in high school. And uh, I don't know that really dates me, but uh, I mean, in the National Also Guitar dates Workshop, Jimmy. Yeah, it was, it, was in, <laughs> it was in Connecticut, right? So everybody knew who Jimmy was in Connecticut. You know, and then, you know, to finally meet him um, or not, we still haven't met in person, but we hooked up via the Internet and, and phone and stuff like that, probably in early 2000s and uh, been friends ever since. And just, you know, it's just cool. I mean, I did the thing shred neck thing with him for a while and you know, it's with that. And he's just a cool dude. And it's well, just so cool to be able to hear you it's and Jimmy and and Ollie and, you know, Kelly and Conrad, because I remember you knew who Conrad was before yeah. I knew who Conrad was. You yeah. said, I've been hearing about this guy forever. And yeah. to be able to put all these lunatics yeah. on fucking songs together, people are like, how did you find these guys? I'm like, I don't know how I found them. It's like, it's like in Back I to the Future. Marty, I don't know how I found them, but I found them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how I did it. I just did it. Just because you have to. Yeah. Well, yeah. you set the gauntlet so high, the bar. <laughs> well, it's not really me. It's not my fault. It's my Guitar Hero's fault. Yeah. <laughs> I, blame, I, I blame Ollie for introducing me to who you were. 
Because I had no idea. Because there Ollie. was Ollie. I Ollie. Said Molly. I was like, Ollie, no, no, Ollie. yeah, Molly. Yes, I was. I was high on ecstasy. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, I feel so good. Rusty Cooley under the influence <laughs> makes me feel great. Um, but no, <laughs> I, one night because we were talking about ridiculous players, I'm I'm was recording Symphony at the time, which is now Lost Symphony. Uh, mm -hmm. Yay for trademarks. Um, <laughs> Ollie was like, dude, you have you ever heard my buddy Rusty? I'm like Rusty, like Rusty Cooley. Yeah, I've never heard Rusty. He looked at me like, like literally, I told him that I didn't, I, I, I'd never gone in the ocean. Yeah, you know, like something crazy. Like, and even then, like that would have been not as crazy. And he sat me down and made me watch yeah. your videos. And he's like, I just wish I could play like that. I just yeah. wish I could play like that. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, holy shit. And then for years, the, the here's the thing: technology has gotten so much better since I've met you. Because I remember when I first met you, you're like, how do I plug my guitar into the computer and oh, now yeah, like dude. oh my god Ugh. now we're now we're here now we made a record yes. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a little bit further along than that not too much i mean i can turn it on plug my guitar in, record some solos record hey. some rhythm guitar tracks but that's about as far as i've got Siobhan doesn't even have an <laughs> sd card in her microphone go. thing she's not, I mean, she's I'm not even recording this course, it's like you know you, you gotta rise to the occasion you know what i mean yeah, it's the way shit's done now so you keep up her yeah out, you know, figure it out. Get passed up, you know what I mean? Music industry is like a fucking freight train, man. You either get on and ride it or get the fuck out of the way. You know, I don't wait for nobody. You know, it's brutal. If I didn't love playing guitar so much, I wouldn't fucking do it. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I, I completely concur. And now that we're finally loosening up a little bit, I want to know <laughs> the truth about this. So we've been asking a lot of artists, what should musicians stop doing? Like as a guitar player, you know, you, you, you obviously are in a certain world. What makes you want to drink every time you see a musician do inserts? Man, if I see another guitar player play fast and not say something new, I want to vomit. It's like mm. I've, I've, I've heard, you know what I mean? It's like everybody can play fast. It's like, so what? I mean, I don't care. I'm not impressed by somebody playing fast. I'm impressed with what you do with it. What can you write? What can you say with it? You know, let me hear something I haven't heard before. You know what I mean? Just don't play the same old cliche shit up and down. This, this is what I was talking about earlier. You, all you do is listen to other guitar players or other or metal. You're just going to regurgitate the same crap. You've got to mm -hmm. things outside the normal channel so you can bring something new to the table. You know, that's what it's all about. You know, listen, go listen to some, go listen to any other instrument but guitar. True. You know, mm -hmm. listen to violin, listen to piano, listen to bass, um, you know, listen to Yo-Yo Ma, you know, listen to Victor Wooten. Jeff Berlin. I always wondered what type of cello Yo-Yo Ma played. I have no idea. I'm actually not sure. No, I'm sure I, it's on the internet. He's, he's doing a callback. Do you back. not get he's the joke? Oh. Someone asked Siobhan, we were talking about like what kind of gear they use, and someone asked Siobhan what type of cello she played. No, they said what brand of cello. <laughs> brand, yeah, something with okay. like a sticker that you just buy at Walmart. I'm How like, did well, you not, not know that? I, first off, he probably plays a the Stradivarius cello, like the one of two that exists because <laughs> it's Yo-Yo fucking Ma. There is, yes. There's a Stradivarius cello. Yeah, a I think there, yeah, there are some. There's like, there's like, there's like six or seven of them or something. That's amazing. I don't, yeah, more I don't than know. the working guitars. There's only one working guitar. <laughs> right. Oh, have you ever played a Stradivarius? I have not. I have some friends who have been able to try them. A lot of them are just owned by foundations and other, right. you know, major you ever, artists. So, even seen one in person? 
Yeah, I have. I mean, I've you know been to concerts. And, I like, send her a picture of Stradivarius yeah. all the time because I'm always in museums because I'm a nerd and I'm like, look, Siobhan, it's an Amani. Look, it's another Stradivarius. Look, this is a mid condition Stradivarius. Look, look at the binding on the Stradivarius. This is from the school of Stradivarius. How many times have I sent you like stuff from the MFA or you, from like you have the Met? Many times. Yeah, because I'm always amazed. I'm 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 personally aware of every Amani and Stradivarius like violin that there is in the world because I'm a Jew. That's a I bold sit there statement. And fucking watch. <laughs> no, because it's like, okay, the last one sold for fifty three million. Because like everyone's excited that Kurt Cobain's guitar sold for like whatever, but look at the Amani's and Stradivariuses. They're like literally like yeah. everyone's talking about like, oh, look at that Porsche. While they're selling Picassos over there, dude. Yeah, like right. the, the Amadis and the, the Stradivariuses are like 50, 60 million dollars. Whereas, like, meanwhile, yeah. like George Harrison's guitar is like 500 grand. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So it's like, I, I'm excited. I, I think that there's gotta be something cool about an instrument worth 53 million dollars. Well, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson played it in a movie. Yeah, well, a lot of the value, too, is that they can't necessarily be bought readily. It's not like you can say, oh, I have the money. I want to buy it. Who cares if you have a hundred million dollars? A lot of them are owned and coveted by foundations what an and by families. What thing and, to say. I mean, no, how many, but, but it's true. Existence still. Ooh, I don't Six, know. The 600, not, the 600 Stradivarius is in existence still. That, 300 that is, Amatis. That are known of. Where, <laughs> that are known of. There was, yeah, like, You're very confident with your facts. I mean, well, I, yeah, I Rudolph, believe it. Most of them went through Rudolf Wurlitzer in New York City in the 1920s and 30s. My violin that you played, Siobhan, uh, went through Rudolf Wurlitzer and was made in Germany for Rudolf Wurlitzer. And I know that because most of the great violins that came into this country went through him. And he was responsible for about 300 of the 600 Stradivariuses that are known wow. uh, to still be around. That's, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a pretty good number. You know what I mean? 600. I mean, that means that they made a good, like, dude, I've had like 20 Gibsons in my life and only seven of them still exist. So like, I, I gotta say that the Stradivarius <laughs> is probably made a little bit better. Yeah. You know, um, I actually remember the tech Texas A&M actually did a study on, uh, Stradivarius violins, um, because everybody was trying to figure out how he made them. And they, and everybody apparently thought that the wood was very, it was dried out to an extensive level. Mm -hmm. And what I remember reading, I don't know if this is just fact or not, but this is what I remember reading is that Stradivarius used to ship the wood down um, the river in barrels and the wood was soaked in different fruits and stuff like that in, mm -hmm. in these barrels that would go down the river to his shop or whatever, you know, so it wasn't mm -hmm. that they were super dried out. It was, you know, the stuff that was in the barrels with the wood. And then when yeah, I, my, my I favorite thing that. is, is now I saw this because I, I stay up at night like a nerd and I go, what's the oldest working organ? Is Amadi better than Stradivarius? Like these are the things that I think about at night cause I'm a fucking loser. <laughs> and they actually had a test with a bunch of like, you know, again, virtuoso level violinists where they had like four Amadis and two Stradivariuses and like five modern builders. And none of those motherfuckers other than like one or two fucking weirdos could tell the difference. They couldn't because you want to know why it's, it's like a, it's a, not a stigma, it, it, it's a thing that people have like a, a myth about it. And don't get me wrong, there's some of the best, but like it, the tone is in your fingers. So to say that this is yeah. the best violin or best ukulele ever is just a stupid statement because it might be the best ukulele in Roy Smek's hands. Well, I mean, it, that's subjective though, you know I mean? Right. It's, totally, it's all it, subjective. It is in your hands, but it's, 
it's more than just that. I mean, well, your instrument certainly can complete it, but the point is that they had a bunch of weirdos with oh, with yeah. mics and tests and with the blindfolds on, like eyes wide shut. These motherfuckers couldn't right, tell. Right, okay, but that's for the listener. A lot of the reason people prefer, a strat prefer a Stradivarius is because of the way it responds to them. So a lot of artists will say, well, I like this because it will do exactly what I tell it to do, whereas a violin that might not be as well made, you have to really work it harder. So yeah. maybe they can produce the same sound because they're great artists. To the listener, they might not notice the difference, but to right, the, but artists, the artists- they totally know the difference. Yeah. So do you so think the violin the plays you? Um. No, I mean, the violin just responds. People that have, ta you know, people that know how to work the instrument can make any instrument sound great. You're right. But at the same time, you want to have the easiest time doing it. You don't want to have to struggle with it, you know? But don't you have to sometimes earn the instrument's respect? I've heard with Amadis, for example, that, that, that they can be a little bit more fastidious, but that well, if you can make it work, that it could be sweeter than any Stradivarius, but that you so need to have a certain technique that maybe it isn't as easy to coax. I would, well, I would say that's comparable to having putting 12s on your guitar as opposed to nines. All right, Stevie Ray Vaughan. You know, I mean, no, Stevie Ray, that's going to be light for him. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, was he like 13s I mean, or 14s? I heard 13. I heard 42. No, <laughs> My finger tips are falling apart just thinking about that. You know I, mean? I know, yeah, right? Exactly. But I mean, well, now that we've bored everybody that doesn't play violin or guitar, <laughs> Rusty, how's your life going? Like, tell us about, like, how the fuck did you get into being uh, a full, like, when did you realize you had the magic power of music? Because I've been asking a lot of people, we w are always curious, what got people into the moment where you're like, this is what I'm going to fucking do? Well, I don't think I had a moment like that because all through my entire life, I've always known what I was going to do. I mean, it was, I've never questioned it. When I was when I was born, I was born into a motocross racing family. I started riding dirt bikes, and and until we moved to Texas, would have I would have probably continued to do so. But when we moved to Texas, my two older brothers moved out, and it was just me, my mom, and dad. My dad at that point had been racing for many many years with my big brothers, and he was tired of it. So um, my older brothers started taking me racing with him. And amidst all this, I was, I was kicking ass and whatnot. And I was already on a bike that was a year old and I was racing at a, at a stadium track. It was like a supercross kind of thing. You know what I mean? But a night mm -hmm. track, I mean, it wasn't racing in the supercross, but it was a night track. You know? So of course you're fast on a motorcycle, oh. <laughs> on a guitar, Absolutely. with the ladies, with the, yeah. the liquor, right? Hey, hey man, you gotta do something. Letting right. things on fire. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, man, out, out of the out of this whole shot, you know, I came around the corner right out of the gate, and everybody was behind me. And my bike hit you. When you land like this, then the bike kicks back like this, right? Yeah. So it kicks back, and I was flipped over, and everybody behind me landed on top of me, oh, right? Shit. So, so I didn't realize it at the time, but my foot was broken. That's because an eighty was on my head, and my head was pinned so far to the side. Oh my god! So my brother's over there picking up eighties, throwing them right. And uh, so I'm sitting there on the, with the paramedics and, the, and they're like, oh, it's just sprung, whatever. My brother's like, hey, man, you mind if I finish my motos? And I'm like, I don't care, whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm like 15 or 14 or something like that. And Corey's like, I totally did the same thing. Yeah. And it just so happens that my parents were out of town that weekend. Right. So my brother had to call my parents because my I got home and the foot was killing me. And anyway, make a long story short, I, once my foot was healed and I was ready to start racing again, I was at that point, I was on a bike that was two years old. And I was like, man, you know, come on. My big brother's got bikes brand new every year. What's up? You know, and maybe I was just too young to understand that. Maybe my parents just didn't have the cash for it at the time. So I was pissed off and I sold my last dirt bike and bought a new guitar. And uh, huh. 
And that was it. And and so at that moment, I changed from being a, a motocross racer to a guitar player. And, and were you already interested in guitar playing or was it just like, yeah, I'm going to be a guitar player? I, I had already had a guitar and uh, I was it was kind of in this weird transition period because it was like, you know, I was going from an injury to getting ready to start racing again. But it was like, you know, it was hard enough keeping up with the current bikes on a bike that was a year old. Now it was mm-hmm. going to be two years old. You know what I mean? And, you know, a good rider can and outride, a, a, you know, a, a lesser rider on a better bike. But, you know, when you're riding with all good riders, you know, mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do on a two year old bike. You know, uh-huh. to what so, initially piqued your interest in guitar. Um, I'll tell you, man, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was New Year's Eve in eighth grade and me and two of my other friends were jamming out to like Ted Nugent records and, and uh, cheap trick and some other shit like that with tennis rackets. <laughs> and then, you know, so the New Year started and we did that for a couple of months. We were all like air guitar and the tennis rackets. And then I got to have five tennis rackets put yeah, together yeah, and check it out. Then this one day I got this brilliant idea. I was like, Hey guys, how about we get some real electric guitars? <laughs> I mean, so That's a thought. Um, hey yeah, guys. Yeah. So get this, you know, I went, I wanted to go, I went to the guitar shop and I wanted one of those little mini kid flying bees. I, I didn't know any better. I was like, Hey, that's cool. It's cheap. Maybe my parents will buy that for me. You know, the guys were like, no, you don't want that. That's not, it's, it's cool. It's a V, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not real. You know? So I ended up getting a PVT 27 and a PV decade amp. And I've never looked back. You know what I mean? I mean, I just, I went into, I didn't know that, when you do something, you and that everybody does it 110%. I didn't know that. I just, that's the way I was, you know, I'm wired that way. So if I do something, it's mm-hmm. all the way or nothing. And, I, and mm-hmm. I, one of the pivotal waking moments to that concept was when I was teaching at a, a guitar shop here in Houston, probably in the mid nineties, the, the owner of the store called me over and said, Hey man, he was Rusty. You gotta understand not everybody's like you, you know, cause I guess he heard me getting on a student or something like that. And, and it was that moment that I went, Oh, I get it. You know, not everybody, plays guitar and, and does it 110% all or nothing, you know, cause whenever I do something, it's all or nothing. I'm in or I'm not, you know, and I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to do it. Sure. And we either grain alcohol or just yeah. totally yeah. fucking Whatever. When, you say, Water. when you say all or nothing, when it comes to the guitar, do you mean just mastering the instrument or did you have a career path planned? Man, I was, I was 15 years old. I had my guitar and I was listening. I discovered Randy Rhodes and, and I heard that Randy Rhodes had records out when he was still a teenager with quiet riot. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm a teenager. I just started, I got to have records out in a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. For, yeah. Me, for me, it was catch up. Yeah. You know, and it was, yeah. it was a really a trip because, you know, at, then shortly after that guys like Ingve started coming out and Jason and Marty, like especially Jason and Richie Cotson and Paul Gilbert too. Before that, Paul Gilbert was 18 when he put out racer X's first album. You know, he's like a couple years older than me. And I started, you know, he started when he was like nine or something like that. So by the time he was 18, he was good enough to put out a record. I mean, Can that's I tell you what, a secret talent of Paul Gilbert? I'll show you. Oh, my gosh. Ben's on a roll tonight. Anyway, yeah. keep keep going, Rossi. <laughs> no, it's super interesting. So, you know, that was my thought process. Like, I got to catch up. He's you know an I mean? amazing yeah. artist. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah, his guitar them. playing. Look at that. That's a self-portrait of, of him. And he's even saying oh, he's even, to, to Benny. It so does, it's, it's yeah. to me, rock and roll, because obviously Paul Gilbert's rock and roll. And look at his lips. It that looks even like looks Donald like him. Duck meets Bart <laughs> Yeah, it does. It, it does look a little Simpsons-esque. <laughs> You're like, that's the guy from Racer X. That's not Bruce. That's totally Paul. <laughs> Bruce. They call him Bruce. Anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's a pretty funny story, but... <laughs> so when you were thinking about putting out that record, like, was, were you... 
were you thinking I got to find a band or I got to try to do this myself? No, I, I don't really remember exactly. I just knew that I had to do it. Whatever I was going to do, I had to do it. And, and, and at one point in high school, I was, I was so into everything that I didn't know if I wanted to be a jazz musician or a classical conductor. And, you know, and I, I got through what high school. What would that have been like if, if Rusty had come back, like, in another lifetime? Really as a, yeah, yeah. As, like, like Leonard Bernstein, but with, like, Bodo Cross. Like, right. you know, cross together. A little brat, 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 brat. You know, um, yeah, my friends are having kids, and I'm going, brat, brat, brat. <laughs> Uh, but you know, it's like, uh, you know, after I graduated from high school, I started taking some, uh, college courses. And, and when I was, after I graduated, I was taking 12 hours of college. I was teaching at two guitar shops and I was rehearsing with a band five days a week. And mm -hmm. at some point I reached burnout and I had to come to the, I came to the point where I had to ask myself the question, what do I really want to do? Yeah. That, that was, sure. I want to play guitar. So I quit school. I took all my students and consolidated them to one store and quit teaching because I was teaching at a record store two days a week. I think I forgot to mention that too. So I quit that. So yeah, remember those record stores back yeah, in the man, day you could go so and you can awesome, just like watch, dude. like go and listen to music yeah. and I, find I, things. Cause like Eddie was on the cover of it or Vic Rattlehead was on the yeah. cover of it. And you're like, wow, that looks cool. Or like <laughs> it says Slayer. And you're like, ah, oh, maybe my parents will be angry if I play this loud. And then, and now, and now those places don't exist. It's so, so much a bummer. I mean, I heard Prince for the first time. Well, no, I heard, I discovered that Prince could play the guitar for the very first time in a record store when I heard the end of When Doves Cry. At that point, I didn't know he could play guitar. And then I hear that solo that he rips up at the end of that song. And it's like, holy shit, this is you know, You know what? Another reason why I hate Prince is because it takes that long to realize that he's that good. He's like, I'm just going to put out like a bunch of albums, like parade my my ass around and we're sequins. And then about yeah. like six albums in, you're going to realize and I'm better than you. You got to be everything. in it for the long haul. At you everything. Gotta, you got to wait till everything. the end. At, at playing arpeggios and doing my eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let him get back to what he was talking about. <laughs> Sorry, so you Prince, were, you were Prince just makes oh, me yeah. happy. It's okay. So you, you, you were starting to feel a little burned out. Yeah, so I was I was feeling burned out because I was you know that was you know completely overextending myself and it's like mm -hmm. I had to figure out what I wanted to do and that answer was I want to play guitar so I quit the record store took all my students to one one shop quit school and um, and stayed with the band and, and just taught practiced and as much as I could you know what I mean mm -hmm. and uh, and there's never you know I've never had a backup plan I mean it's, it's this or nothing you know mm -hmm. I mean and shit has gotten bad too over the last you know. You know, when the economy crashed and all that shit back in like 2013 or 2012. And, you know, it hurt, it hit me hard because I went from teaching like 56 students a week. Uh, oh, my God. That's a lot. Yeah, it was 56 oh my God. in a day, Monday through Friday. And then it's not like six on Saturday. And uh, I went from making a lot of money, you know, over 100 grand a year, you know, between teaching and royalties from records and uh, guitars and pedals and magazine columns that I was writing for to all of a sudden that shit dried up. And I went to like 18 students and I still had the expenses of when I had the big, sure. money, you know, and it was like, man, I mean, I, I had moved into me and my wife, my ex-wife now got divorced in 2011 and I had so much gear. I moved in this two bedroom apartment and the second bedroom was just for gear in my practice room or whatever in the closet. <laughs> I swear, when you walked into the closet in this room, it was like walking into the stock room or whatever at Guitar Center. It was piled from floor to ceiling with gear. And at the time, I had a personal assistant and a guitar tech who were they two, they were one and the same. And every month, it was like, okay, dude, go grab some shit out of the room, see what we're going to sell to 
to pay bills this month. You know what I mean? Oh my God. I, mean, I had an H2 and it got repossessed one month before it was paid off. So I had to go take out a loan that I could never pay back to this day and to get my Hummer back to pay it off the next month. You know what I mean? And it's like, dude, it was bad. It was like, I was one foot away from being under the bridge, you know, you know, down uh, by looking under it. I mean, it's, it got that bad. So I was co-owner of a, a music school and it was so bad. I had to go teach at another guitar shop to try to make ends meet. You know what I mean? It was, it was grim, dude. That's was, the thing about the, the music business though, is there, especially if you're all in, there's there's no um, yeah there's no big safety swings. net no there's yeah. not you know what i mean and i knew that when i got into it well that's good uh, that you know it and that's why you do it 110 percent because a lot of people and we say this people that get into it because they want to get chicks or they think they're going to be famous or whatever we get into make, it because yeah. we have anxiety <laughs> and there's nothing else we're capable of doing <laughs> Like that's that's why I do this is because I can't change fucking oil. I can barely. My girlfriend pumps the gas, not because I. It's because I, I'm going to cause a problem. It's somehow going to spontaneously combust because I'm not good at anything. What I can do is this, and I think that's the, something. I think the uh, just a real quick aside. The first time uh, I ever spent time with Ben, I, I I joined a band he was in, and and the first gig we had, I had to drive him in his car to the gig because he didn't want to drive in Boston. And then we got a flat tire. It's so anxious. We got a flat tire and pulled over and he had a nervous breakdown. And I had to change the <laughs> I don't even tire. remember this. I, I feel like, I feel we're like the, I, we're on the way to the Hard oh, Rock Cafe. Oh, I do remember this. Um, we're on the way to the Hard Rock Cafe. I'd, I'd known you for like three weeks at this point. I was like, this dude is... All right. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to, I'm on the hot side of the highway trying to change the tire. It's got a locking lug nut. And I go, Ben, do you have the lug nut key in the car? He goes, Oh, I, I remember this. What that is. And, yeah. And called, you know, called all these people and was Googling it. I'm calling a million people. Yeah. 40 minutes, I went inside, opened the glove box, and there was there the key. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yes, for some reason, all, yeah. several yeah. years later, I'm still here. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, yeah. here's the thing is, and I'll teach you something, Corey, is you just have to hold people hostage with things. <laughs> <laughs> because you are the only person I know that gets away with all of this. No, shit. but We're because like I mean, even Rusty knows this. Like, because Rusty has so many better things to do than talk to me. Oh man! But like, part of him knows that like this is a good move. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and You're like one, this story I, in his mouth. <laughs> Let him you, say the words. You know, no, I'm just, I'm just joking because, but I'm just saying Corey's still here because you want to know what he now is. I take credit for him being such a great mixing engineer. Because I threw so much stuff at him, gave him so much anxiety, which is the constant thing. Like, he had so much anxiety, he, he went to school himself. And he did exactly what Angel Vivaldi said is, go to YouTube and get a teacher. And he did. And now he's one of the greatest engineers I've ever heard. In, greatest engineers on this call, I hope. You know what I mean? On this call. Somebody <laughs> telling you to go to YouTube kind of scares me. You know, so you, got, so you take your car in to get repaired and they go to YouTube. <laughs> yeah. You want to know what? Somebody did it right on YouTube. You just have to vet those fuckers. Because here's yeah. the thing is there's so much information out there, you just have to know the right information. So if yeah, I see Marty Friedman telling me don't. the problem with people today is it's information overload. Nobody can focus long enough to realize anything new is going on. I mean, there's there was a point when I went from being in an instrumental, you know, do my instrumental stuff to being in a band, when people would come up to me and they go, Oh, you're in a band now? And be like, yeah, it's all over all my social media, you know, and nobody would know it. Then I'd be in a different, you know, then was a day of reckoning and like, oh, you're in a new band. Yeah. People come up and profess to be your, their, you know, I'm your most diehard fan ever. 
and not realize that I haven't been in Outworld in 10 years. Ah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's because the average person spends like three seconds or something like that on each page. Not long enough. Yeah. I mean, you're on, if you're on my homepage on anything that I'm on long enough to read something, not just look at pictures or something, you will know that I'm not doing that anymore, you know, because I do my best to just, you know, Hey, flashing lights. I'm new doing day of reckoning now, or I'm doing this now, or yeah. I just did this album or whatever. It's unbelievable. When I was a kid, we were starved for information. There was no internet. I mean, I would I would go to the store and buy an album and I would just spend hours reading the liner notes because I wanted to know every detail about it. I had to buy like Hit Parader and Circus magazines to find out anything about my guitar heroes and half the shit was bullshit anyway. So you'd have to get a guitar magazine to find out anything. And I mean, I would study it. I'd, I'd learn everything about my guitar heroes that I could possibly find out because I just wanted to know everything. I mean, that's why I teach guitar because of Randy Rhodes. Randy Rhodes taught guitar. I got to teach guitar. You know what I mean? So, you know, nowadays I ask my students, but what, what was the Rand, what was the Randy songs in particular that because because I got to say that Randy Rhodes is probably like in my triumvirate of guitar players myself. Yeah. And there are specifically passages from him because like the thing with Randy Rhodes is he was such a flash in, in the pan in the sense that like he was only alive as far as to really do anything from like what, 79 to 82. And he really only did like. Two albums with Ozzy, other than yeah. the live album they released, yeah. and like you know, some back room recordings with Quiet Riot, um, you know, with the Laughing Gas solo, and that's about what you got. But everything that you have from Randy Rhodes is fucking flawless, yeah. and all those bootlegs, especially the Suicide Solution solo um, yeah. that he used to do with um, with Daisley and um, with um, and Kerslake and all that. But the the amazing, not even the version that's on tribute, but like the eleven oh, yeah. minute long. I have uh, oh, so many bootlegs. Yeah, it's it's perfect, and but people don't realize that like there are people that have that much time in between albums as Randy Rhodes' entire career. Yeah, exactly. So was what so what did it for you for Randy Rhodes? What were the what were the tunes? And what I, was the solo that pulled every, you in? Everything. I mean, from the first note that I heard by him, it was great. Um I mean, I like I and I can't say I'm more of a Diary of Madman fan than I am a Blizzard of Oz because there's moments in everything, but you know, Randy was so unique everything was a composition within a composition. You know what I mean? His solos weren't, I mean, he didn't do any improvising really. I mean, he wrote his solos. I mean, you you have to, if you're going to triple and quadruple track them. And not only that, if you're going to triple or quadruple track a guitar solo, man, your timing has got to be perfect. You know, cause you can't tell that, he's, that a lot of those are triple. Well, and the other thing is that he did that was absolutely amazing is he played that super ear piercing mid range Marshall sound yes, but, that you but, can't hide shit from. Like yeah. there, there's no question he's playing it perfectly and he's yeah. got Max Norman's got him on the right, on the left, straight down the middle. And it sounds like I actually didn't like his tone for a long time because I, I was like in the school of Dimebag Daryl's smiley face, anti-tone for a while. Um, so he I had no idea Darryl, that like. Dimebag Daryl was a kid when I was listening to Randy Rhodes. No, I'm, I'm, see, I'm saying that like, I didn't understand that mids is like so important. Like this is my progression yeah. to understanding tone. But that, but, but I always knew from the first note with Randy Rhodes that everything was so deliberate, everything was so composed, and everything like you'd listen to a song like D. You know what I mean? You could hear him on that on, on the tribute album where they do like all the outtakes and stuff. His brain working. Oh, I almost got that harmony. I almost, and it's just brilliant. Um, and yeah, I, mean, I gotta of, tell you, some of my favorite stuff by him. And what I meant a minute ago about it is like being a composition with the composition is 
the solo was like a song inside the song and and all of the stuff was uniquely different i mean not every solo sounded the same it was it was uniquely different i mean like listen to like um believer listen to the tones that he got on that album and and then listen to like the songs that would fade when he would be playing a solo it's like i wanted to hear what the rest of it was you know what i mean i'd crank it up when it was fading out it's like come on man give me the rest of it you know they got that the rest of those solos somewhere you know i mean that's the shit i want to hear um and i, I mean i loved I loved, you know, the Over the Mountain solo. I loved uh, uh, Mother Revelations, Mother Earth, um, SATO, um, you know, all of it. It was all great, you know. What's well, not to love? It's Rainy Roads, man. You know, and then I heard Ingbe. It was like, wow, there's actually might be somebody that's as good as Randy, you know, or better. I don't know. Sacrilege to kind of say that, but man. Well, you know, that's the great thing is that music is subjective. So like, you know, one person, Ingve Malmsteen can be better than Randy Rose. I think they, I, I don't think you can say better. It's, I right. think, it's different. I think in any context, uh, no one's ever really bet. Well, there is a level where yeah. someone's better. People but say like, better. Brian May right now is the is best certain, in the world, according to the internet. Right. Brian May is the best this you, year. It was Kurt Cobain 10 years ago. Correct. Right. The internet's all true. Yeah. It's <laughs> completely true. You got to believe everything on the internet. Absolutely. Anyway, so you what you were saying, Corey? No, no. I, I just think that it's it's always I, I hate those. Who do you think's better, this person or this person? It's like, well, what kind of mood am I in? Like, what are you talking? You talking about composition, technique, yeah, tone? Right. Like, there's so right. many. There, yeah. you can, there's too many variables to to say yeah. a definitive. I mean, it'd, it'd be like trying to compare Chet Atkins to Ingve Malmsteen or yeah. something. It's just two different worlds. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Is one better than the other? No, they're both great at what they do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it. You know. I mean, when you think about it, it's it's amazing when you stop and think about this whole planet, we all use the same 12 notes. Yeah. I mean, every culture. That unless ex- you, no, unless you play like sitar and you do like quarter notes, no, no, like no, quarter no. tones and shit, no, 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 like no. Ravi yeah. Shankar shit. Any, any instrument that doesn't have frets has those notes. Mm-hmm. All you have to have is a fretless Come instrument, on. right? <laughs> get all those notes. Now, now a guitar player can get those notes by bending Unless you have a yeah. unless you have a quarter step guitar, but any classical instrument that doesn't have frets, which none of them do really, unless it's a classical guitar, can get all those notes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just Indian music, you know. It's it's they're there. We just don't necessarily use them in, in Western civilization. So you've been teaching music for a long time at a really yeah, high level. I was a in high How yeah so. I, I'm curious because I taught I taught for for several years and uh, it wasn't for me after a while because I found a lot of how kids, much do I owe you kids. by the way <laughs> a lot of I, I got really that's dis- true I, I actually took lessons from him it's yeah. a true story so, yeah I got discouraged with a lot of kids that, that didn't actually want to learn and so I I, would, I was mm-hmm. trying to be passionate about it and I just couldn't really get them to that next level and then I found other things to occupy my time but with so many students under your belt and so many years like. How do you keep it fresh and how do you like, do you, do you approach every student differently? And like, is Absolutely. there, is there a method to, to get the people to think about that? All the ideas you're talking every, about. Every, 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 man, every person is different. It's just like, you know, every, every you know, fingerprint or every snowflake, you know what I mean? Everybody's different and you've got to try to get in inside and understand that student. You know, it's like, I'll have people that call me up and go, well, I'd just like to try one lesson to see if it's for me. You know, if you're, if you're the right <laughs> teacher for me and it's like, there's no way That's not how it works. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be the right teacher for you in one lesson. Yeah. You got to at least sign up for a month and let's see how it goes. You might not be the right student for me. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. That's never been the case because I'll take everybody. Um, you know, I don't care. I mean, I've taught people that were dyslexic, that were 
blind that you know that any any kind of handicaps i mean i've taught everybody sure. i don't care i mean i'll give it my best you know what i mean um but i, I forgot what the hell was the question no just so you you mentioned that like you know everyone's working with the same 12 notes right so, yeah. so like how like how do you approach all these different students and keep keep the lessons unique and, sure. and fresh and and, and sure. how do you keep them motivated well the thing that you have to understand is that everybody learns differently and everybody's motivated by different things so a lot of people, when they first start playing guitar, they want to learn songs because that's, well, I'm going to learn to play songs by my guitar heroes or my favorite bands or whatever. And, and that's fine. And in my early years of teaching, I wouldn't teach songs. And people would call me up and I'd say, look, if you're interested in learning songs, save yourself a lot of money. Just go download some tabs off the internet. You'll be fine. But if you want to learn how to play the guitar and understand how those songs were written, mm-hmm. develop the technique to play those songs, I'll be happy to show you. You know what I mean? Because I, I was all about in the early days... You know, just, you know, I'm going to teach you how to play guitar so that you can be independent, and not need anything else. You know, you learn to hear what you understand, what you hear um, so that you can, you know, interpret it and know what it is. So you can then turn, you know, turn around and learn it. And at the same time, I'm a believer that if you can listen to music, you don't have to copy it and actually play it to understand it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's there's people that are old school. That I get in a debate with and I won't mention his name, but he comes from the school of, oh, I have to learn all these songs to learn how to write songs. And I told him, I said, I don't have to learn those songs to learn how to write songs. All I got to do is listen to them. I can hear that it goes verse, chorus, bridge, pre-chorus, whatever. I don't need to play it. And then I can take that information and I can use that information however I choose to use it. But one of the most important things that I've learned about myself and about music is that when you're writing music, you're writing your music. You don't have to follow anything that's ever been done before. It's your music. It's your song. You don't have to follow any formula. I, when I was writing my instrumental album, I had to keep re- reminding myself of that. It's like, oh, what are these guys doing? What are these all my shrapnel heroes doing? And, this, and it's like, I had to just tell myself many times, just stop. Dude, just write it. Let the notes fall where they fall. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I do with all my music and try to because, you know, I don't, it's not about, for me, it's not about fitting into a genre or a sound or a style. Whatever I write, if it's this song x a ballad and next one's like a jazz song or whatever i'm gonna do it and i'm not gonna worry about how, how does it fit together well it's it's my it's my art you know that's what music really is to me it's an art it's not about you know and this is probably why i'm always broke because it's not about selling records to me you know what i mean it's about making music yep. and if somebody happens to like it that's a bonus you know and that's that's the way i always think about it just because i'm not writing for other people i'm writing for me it's my it's personal you know, and there's a lot of sides to my guitar playing that people don't even know exist because I don't share it with anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I have friends that listen to me play guitar. They go, man, why don't you let people know that side of your playing? And it's like, well, you know, you know, I just haven't got there yet. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think we're all curious about that. And we're coming up on the end of this first segment here. Um, so we're definitely going to have to dive in a bit more. If well, I, there's more alcohol yeah. to be drunk yes. and there's more <laughs> weed to be smoked. And I, there's a lot of notes to be played. And just so you know, Rusty, I'm not joking. I got a few of these things. I will send this shit oh to you, bro. Oh my God, you are so because, into this thing. No, 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 because you wanna know what? He sent me an eight string guitar and I, I stand by it that there are not that, look, Siobhan plays in a band called Surfaces and I will send you the link. Rusty, it's like some Frank Zappa shit. <laughs> and this guy plays a fan fret eight, eight, uh, eight string guitar and he plays with his fingers. With no with with no pick, and I figured that that's what you need to do. You need to get the fan frets because you got to oh, fan your go. fingers out. 
Right, that like that. That is beautiful. That is a beautiful guitar. And, that and is then, beautiful. And, and then they're you got you got you can't use a pick. You got to you got to play your solos with with your fingers. Oh, you're uh, sending all these like secret challenges to him. Everything you say <laughs> is like, "Oh, here's something that you need to do." No, you got to see this guy that plays in that band. But that said, you've been 2020. Rusty, I hope you'll stick around and talk to us for another hour and hopefully drink a few more fucking shots cuz I'm certainly going to. I'll be here, bro. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.